0: The Athletic. Totally football show. Today, FA Cup. Liverpool's Man City victory. Zach Stefan with the worst response to the sudden arrival of Manny since those Magpie fans in headdresses. Meanwhile, Chelsea barely breaking sweat with Palace. Insert your Prince Andrew jokes here, and we're all set for the final we'll be talking about Premier League 2 Burnley's news Michael Jackson and me brackets not another documentary as Clarets roll the dice by ending Dice's roll our thoughts on that and the midweek action coming up in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power Monday 18th of April listener hello to you wheels up with another totally featuring today Daniel story much traveled Daniel story hello Hi, James. Hello. Uh, Sasha Gurionov is also with us. All right, Sash.
1: Good morning, James. I'm also much travelled, but unfortunately, I managed to miss all the football, so I had to catch it on the TV. Well, you're,
0: you're going to love hearing all about it from Daniel and currently live from Paris, Tom Williams. Tom.
2: Good morning, James.
0: Good morning to you.
2: Joyous Pack. A
0: That's bomb pack.
2: That's what bomb they pack. say. Yeah.
0: No All Easter right.
2: eggs, sadly, though. At the part they pranced last night, I was slightly, slightly disappointed.
0: Right, a lot of people led with the no away fans, but you're right. The bigger story: no giveaway confectionery. Were there Easter eggs at Wembley, Daniel? Story for both the semi-finals, which you turned up to. There were not,
3: unfortunately. Uh, there was plenty of goodies, but not Easter, Easter themed. Mm. Actually, yeah. I tell a lie. There was cupcakes yesterday that had cream and two mini eggs on each so oh right.
2: nice touch nice touch that's how they buy they're always they're always slightly tastier than you think they're going to be aren't they mini eggs yeah i always think they're kind of a, a bit of a nothingy a nothingy treat but there is there's 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 taste there there's there's you know there's enjoyment to be had
0: all right we're doing this sasha you might as well tell us your
1: favorite easter <laughs> easter treat well uh th- this easter i was um I was actually in, in the National Space Center uh, on Saturday oh. during the football. So in a way I was kind of uh, I was there to see the debunking of the whole uh, you know Easter myth if you like.
3: Is that in um, it's Leicester
1: say. Sash. It's a Leicester, yep. Yeah. I was uh, yeah. I was on the way back so okay. I um, in my infinite wisdom um, yes. I thought that FA in the infinite wisdom would not have FA Cup final weekends on Easter weekend. So I never even bothered checking it this weekend. So I thought it was going to be next weekend. Right. So I planned the trip to Yorkshire and I had a five-hour drive on Saturday. So I was effectively following um, the FA Cup semi-final in the National Space Centre, learning okay. about the Gagarin, the elements, the solar system and all that as the Liverpool golf flew in.
3: Tick those off your very obvious bingo card for the yeah, intro.
1: Exactly. That's,
0: um, Sasha, I'm, I'm wondering where to begin with that. Was it, was it good? Is it good, the National Space Centre? Uh,
1: it, it's okay. I think it's... Um, organizationally, I think, for the kids, it's quite... It's a little bit tough. So I think it requires maybe more than one visit, especially when you're trying to break up a five-hour car journey. But right. I think it was, it was a lovely stop. And, you know, I was there... Um, Sort of learning about Yuri Gagarin as I got a ping that um Karnatis saw the above for everyone else to head the, to head the first nice. one. Found space, and yeah, exactly. That's found true. space and you know yeah. above everybody. And um, I, I was there, obviously learning about the elements and how the solar system was uh, was formed. When you know Stefan was making elementary mistakes, you know I could carry on oh, with this, nice. but let's actually talk about the football.
0: Yeah, and also apparently <laughs> there's a room where they debunk the myth of Christianity. According to Sasha, Well, listen, you might have an issue with that. I don't know. <laughs> Let, let's um.
4: Let's well, just was, say, I, Sasha, I,
0: I, that I think it's a broader it's a broader <laughs> issue than than, than than your approach suggests. Uh, let's talk about the FA Cup because that sounds simpler. Saturday, Liverpool beating Man City three two. Sunday, then a Chelsea two 0 winners over Palace to set up another Chelsea Liverpool Wembley final. Hurrah, Daniel! You went to both. Mm. How gobsmacked were you by that first half on Saturday?
3: Yeah, I, I heard Jurgen Klopp say that it's the best. Intimating it's the best he's seen Liverpool play. I actually didn't think they, they were brilliant. I thought the City were just absolutely terrible. The third goal was, was brilliant. There's no doubt about that. It's a wonderful team move. It's an excellent finish. I think Edison maybe would have saved it, but that's, you know, there were bigger mistakes to focus on with, with Zach Steffen. But Liverpool didn't really create that much in the first half because they didn't really need to. The first goal was a set piece. Canate now has three and three. He's clearly brilliant at doing that. Kind of that hang time was extraordinary. Uh, and the second goal was, you know, was was bizarre. But I didn't think Liverpool were brilliant. I just thought City were were absolutely terrible. That's as bad. There's something about watching City regularly that when they produce one of these performances and they do it very very infrequently, mm. it's it's almost physically hard to watch because you know what they're trying to do and yet they just couldn't do any aspect of
0: it. Was the big thing here then that one team made their seven changes midweek and one team did it on Saturday?
3: Yeah, I think the the, the Champions League, you know, the court, second leg of the quarterfinals were clearly hugely instructive. Guardiola said before the game, I had no choice. He repeated that after the game, I didn't have a choice. I think he, he he did have a choice. I don't think he had to play Stefan, although, although I, I understand that giving substitute goalkeepers chances is, is seen as the right thing to do. Um, I think if you're going to pick pretty much a new defence then you should probably pick your best goalkeeper. I also thought Fernandinho was the key because it makes you realize just how good Rodri is not just with his passing but in his kind of his courage in in, in taking the ball with his back to goal, backing himself to resist the pressure that comes. We saw him do that We've seen him do that time and time again against Liverpool. And I thought Fernandinho... These really did feel like the last knockings of Fernandinho. He's kind of half a second late to do everything, to show for the ball, to pass the ball, to dive into challenges. His tactical fouls, he's been really good at. I thought he was lucky not to be sent off because they are becoming more obvious now as he slows down. And um, I I thought, yeah, I thought that was the big difference. I think if Edison and Rodri had played, they would have got away with the defence. But without those two and with a change defence that, yeah, they look terrible. And, and all credit to Liverpool for kind of seizing upon that. Because if you make seven changes and go 3-0 down, you can't get back in the game. If you make no, no changes and go 3-0 up, you can effectively kind of stroll through the second half, which is pretty much what Liverpool did.
2: It felt a bit like Diego Simeone's revenge to me, in the sense that City obviously went into the game off the back of that extremely gruelling uh, Champions League game in in midweek against Atletico with where they expended a lot of a lot of energy both physically and, and mentally um, you know with that sort of knife edge scenario right up and right up to the end of, of the game and obviously losing Kyle Walker and, and Kevin De Bruyne who were two key players two irreplaceable players um, and whereas they were going through that in Madrid at the same time you know Liverpool are are able to basically send out a reserve team against Benfica and have a bit of a knockabout 3-3 draw that that, that doesn't prevent them from going through so I, th- I think that was that was certainly a factor I agree with Daniel I thought City looked absolutely awful looked really really unfocused really leggy really tired um, and you wonder whether that could become a factor I think that you know that Liverpool do have greater squad depth in certain areas particularly in the forward line it's much easier for them to rotate and they have players who are who are happy to spend time on the bench like Roberto Firmino and, and come in you know when needed as he did against Benfica I don't think it's quite as easy for, for City to rotate I think when they're missing big players you notice it more and I wonder whether that might be something that, that ends up kind of undermining them as we you know as we head into the, the final weeks of the season
0: Right and Liverpool chase the quadruple Sasha um You've caught up with the game since your trip to the space center, yeah? Twice. (laughs) Nice. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, should we talk about F and Zach, Stefan, and that kind of Carious esque moment when he tried to do an Edison? Was I mean, in his defence, was the difference partly here the fact that it wasn't Jota chugging his way towards him this time, but uh, Manny arriving at the speed of light?
1: Well, I mean, obviously Liverpool changed the centre forwards compared to last week, so yeah, it would have been a uh, managed job this time. But I think I still think he, he took such a long time, and even as the player is coming in towards him, he takes that absolutely unnecessary touch that takes it away from him. So I think I think from his point of view, yeah, it's just a complete mm. brain fart, and I think he but he basically froze there and then. But I think what needs to be pointed out here, it didn't just happen. Liverpool actually forced City's possession back from their own half. So, City were basically boxed in and they really had no passing options. So something very, very similar um, at, at Etihad uh, last Sunday, a game I did go to, where Liverpool's passing lanes were completely cut out, the balls with the keeper, and on occasion, Alisson just booted it out, often to a City player in the middle of the park, but you just get it away. Whereas I think, obviously, Stefan in this situation, he for some reason, he didn't t- take that decision. But I, a lot of what I saw in the first half was, in fact, the reverse, I think, of, of, of what we saw the Sunday before. And and I think quite a few people picked up on that, but one of the reasons that Liverpool, I think, looked so better in the press itself was the presence of Kaita, uh, because he is, um, I think, he a year on from his disaster at uh, you know against Real Madrid, I think he now feels as uh, finally after all these years as part of that Liverpool midfield. So he's pressing is much more dynamic, and also Diaz. I think Diaz compared to Jota, if we look at Jota over the last last few months, I would say I, th- I think Jota's. Uh, kind of contribution to the overall Liverpool play is a, can be on and off, whereas Diaz is completely relentless. So I think this is why they're boxing City and they're right on top of City. City have no time and, and they freeze on the spot like Stefan did. Also, City don't do their homework because the first Liverpool goal, we've seen exactly the same goal scored against Benfica the previous two, like exactly the same delivery from a corner to, to that spot. So I know, I know there's three big guys coming in, Van Dijk, Fabinho and Konate, and they're, they're a big dudes to defend against, but it's exactly the same spot. It's exactly the same corner. And then, of course, to finish it all off, you know the um, the goal on the stroke of half time, and then Liverpool fans are going to, um, you know, into half time in absolute delirium. And then I was watching those scenes, obviously very very jealous not to be there. But what a joyous occasion on such sunny Wembley, three 0 up at half time against City, who are you know your biggest rivals for absolutely everything at the moment. I
3: think one thing we should say is that you know Liverpool play Manchester United on Tuesday night. If they look leggy against. We presume that Clock will pick pretty much the same team, certainly an incredibly strong team. Manchester United are not very good at the moment, but if, if Liverpool do look leggy and don't win the game, then everything inevitably flips on its head. And Liverpool fans even will say, well, hang on a minute. Yes, we really wanted to get the FA Cup final and we want this idea of the quadruple, but the league is the big target. So, you know, I, I wrote the, my, my piece after the game. It felt very much like one manager who is perennially concerned about fatigue and another manager who is obsessed by the idea of momentum. And Klopp believes that that momentum will take them on further than any effects of fatigue. And I agree with Tom, they do have a better rotation options at the moment. But if they are leggy against Manchester United, that clearly ebbs, you know, erodes some of the joy out of that FA Cup semi-final defeat. Right. I don't think, I should, sorry, I should say, I don't think they will be leggy
0: against Manchester yeah.
3: United. And I think even if they are a bit leggy, they're probably still too good for Manchester United. So I think Klopp got it right.
0: Mm. United do they beat 5-0 at Old Trafford earlier this season this time of course that game will be at Anfield City themselves will only have 24 hours more rest before they take the field against the super hot Seagulls out of Brighton can they spring a third straight shock away win we'll, we'll talk about that perhaps a little bit later on Oh, Lewis Diaz! You mentioned Lewis Diaz. So Jota came in kind of midway through last season and just slotted straight in, looked fantastic. Lewis Diaz, what a signing! And you know, when you talk about City being uzats and being kind of down to their uppers and that, it does seem extraordinary that Liverpool, who don't have anything like the same spending power, I think it's fair to say, should have that many more options at this point.
1: I think they brought in replacements. Uh, as we're finally seeing, precisely for the positions where they would need to do that rotation, um, which is, again... From what I understand, you know, the signing of Diaz was somewhat opportunistic. Maybe they were going to wait until the summer, but they had to move. But at the moment, you look at the Liverpool front line. Okay, you have Salah, but the other four can be in- interchangeable. And also, I think you see now the strength in midfield, because now Liverpool ha- Liverpool don't really have many or even a- any injuries at the moment. So, that- so Keita is finally coming of age, is looking very good. I mean, the Thiago Fabinho-Keita midfield, I think, played on for only the second time. The first time they played was Benfica away. Liverpool should have been 6-0 up at half time. So that they're looking superb. And Konate, because the presence of Konate, um, who has now pushed Gomez further down the pecking order the presence of Konate allows Liverpool to rotate Matip and we know that Matip cannot play every three days Uh, but Matip's played 36, I think 36 games this season and uh, Konate played about 19 sometimes they play together but this means again from the previous weekend they have Konate now with a bit more pace to to, to defend against City and it it feels like where there there are the, the replacements and where you can make the three subs they're certainly not weakening the team at all and that's what we saw at the Etihad the week before so I think yeah, I think on the one hand, yes, I think they're managing the injuries a lot better. In fact, that there aren't any. But on the other, I think you do look at the players and they, they, there are replacements precisely where you need them.
3: Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's, a, there's a contrast with City there again, because, you know, they paid £100 million for Jack Grealish in a position where they probably have their best strength in depth because pretty much any of those attacking midfielders can at least start in that position and then roam from it. And Fernandinho is no longer a capable deputy to Rodri. That felt like the natural position to upgrade last summer, but Guardiola's been pretty good at that. In kind of Rodri is clearly the first choice, but he's played them as a, he's played with the two before. He's played Gundogan there as well. I think both Gundogan and Fernandinho are in the kind of last fumes of their City careers. In fact, it's surprising that Gundogan is still there. So that feels like a blind spot. That feels like a mistake made last summer. If they don't go on and win one or both of the league and Champions League.
2: Also, Guardiola very curiously waiting until the very end of the game to, to turn to his substitutes bench, which he, which he seems to do often when City is struggling, actually. He'll, he'll sort of you know, leave it to the players who are out there as if to say, well, you know, you got yourselves into this mess. It's up to you to, to get out of it. But there are so many options on that City bench. You could see right from the start of the game that, that they, they looked a little bit... You know a little bit overcooked physically um, and yet it wasn't until the 83rd minute that he turned to the bench sends on Mahrez, Um and within minutes Mares has, has set up the goal for Bernardo Silva that gives City that that very faint glimmer of hope you wonder you wonder what Mares and, and perhaps some of the other players on the bench might have been able to achieve had they had a slightly better better run at it and I think that's that's another sort of slightly curious example of, of Guardiola's squad management that, that when things aren't going well he seems strangely reluctant to try and mix things up with with substitutions.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, the game ending in disappointment for City and uh, starting in disappointment for all concerned, really, with the disruption of the minute silence for the the 97 fans who died at Hillsborough. Daniel, how bad was this there at the stadium?
3: I mean, it was certainly noticeable and it was noticeable enough that, that I'm... Sure, the referee ended the the period of silence early because it, it was understandably responded to with booze from from Liverpool supporters. It it was it was I'm sure only a few hundred because you don't need still a, in a lot period of, though.
0: Yeah, yeah, you people don't. Uh,
3: who- yeah, I agree. And you don't need that many people in, in a period of silence to sound pretty sure. loud. The, mm. the, the 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 good thing is that both Manchester City released a statement immediately apologizing to Liverpool, which was predictable. And also I've seen a lot of city fans on and Twitter saying, you know, you are you are a disgrace to our club. And after this sort of thing, people often say, Well they're you know, they're not they're not true supporters. They are true supporters. They've gone to a semi-final in a city quite a long way away and they've that, you know they've bought tickets and they've gone to support their club. They are true supporters, and it's on the club to find them and stop them from going to games again if that's how they're going to behave. Because it's obviously it's just abhorrent, abhorrent, ignorant behaviour.
0: Mm. Well, for Liverpool? Meanwhile, the quadruple is still on. No club has ever reached the League Cup final, the FA Cup final, and the Champions League final in the same season. And of course, there's the league as well. Villarreal in the cup, Sasha. In the league, both teams in action midweek, as we mentioned. Man City on Wednesday, hosting Brighton. Man United on Tuesday. Sasha, you're going to turn up for this one, a local museum's permitting.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll make it up to Anfield uh, for the United game. That's not really, you know, after after you play City, you know, at the moment feels like the next game is almost like two, you know, to, to you you back to the real life. Um, but. United against Norwich, I mean, Ragnick was very downbeat after that, you know, if you play like that against Liverpool, basically no chance. But there was nothing looking at United, you know, in terms of organisation at the back, uh, the way the midfield was bypassed. Um, I mean, looking at that, there's certainly nothing pointing that they can cause an upset at Anfield. Again, as mentioned earlier, maybe there might be a little bit of fatigue from Liverpool, but I do think they rotated well. I mean, as terrible as it sounds, I expect like sort of quite a routine win um, without maybe exerting too much because they have a five-day break after this until Everton and then three days until Villarreal. But I think they will be building up towards Villarreal now because I can see those games being incredibly energy sapping um, for Liverpool. I think they're going to have to work stupendously hard to keep up the pace against Villarreal to break them down to drag that defensive unit apart um, so I think we'll see now uh, that Liverpool while they need to continue winning in the league um, Villarreal is definitely going to be the focus
2: And desperate times for Manchester United fans um, who have long felt that the 1999 treble could never be improved upon and yet here we are with Liverpool possibly what 10 games fewer than 10 games away from 11 from- Bettering it, which which seems completely inconceivable, and yet is absolutely um, you know is is absolutely on the table.
1: Well, you know, in '99, Liverpool tried to spanner uh, the uh, th- um, the treble bid. They drew two all at Anfield in mid-May, I think, oh, must have been two or three games left after that, and I think then Arsenal dropped the points uh, to let uh, United in. But I remember that night at Anfield, there was certainly very raucous it was certainly ah yes we're finally going to spoil the United Party here I think in scored late on um, yes yeah, I but well, yeah, yeah. But in the end it was uh, it was of no use uh, and I do remember that May 99 with uh, utter utter horror <laughs> mm.
0: alright well we're going to be recalling Sunday at Wembley uh, possibly a bit of horror in that one as well but that's going to be up next
4: Well, there's no rest for the wicket at the business end as Liverpool play host to Manchester United this Tuesday evening in the Premier League. Both sides will be all business as Klopp's men are on a mission to make up that point on Man City whilst United somehow continue in the hunt for a top-four finish following last weekend's Snakes and Ladders results with Spurs and Arsenal. When was the last time United won at Anfield, I hear you ask? Well, the answer is January 17th, 2016. And that was the year, the odd year, that Leicester won the league in terms of the betting for Tuesday don't make the traders run because they're full of chocolate after Easter Sunday but they see no chance of Liverpool's pursuit of City being derailed by Ronaldo and Co Liverpool are the odds-on favourites at 4-11 to the draw is 15-4 to and United to win the match is 13-2 now last time the sides met Liverpool were 5-0 winners at Old Trafford and it was no surprise that Oli's head rolled a few weeks after revenge you would like to think would be on the cards for the visitors but Liverpool will have just lost twice in 25 games in all comes are taking scamps for fun with Klopp's vast array of attacking talent. Meanwhile, league leaders Man City play host to Brighton on Wednesday and Pep's men are 2-11 to to see off the Seagulls. In terms of the title race, listeners, it's Man City 2-5, Liverpool 15-8. And as far as deep, scratchy, husky voices go in the Premier League, it lost a real gem this week in the form of Sean Dyche. Former Blades boss Chris Wilder is the favourite to be the next Burnley manager. Big Sam is 5-2 and Wayne Rooney 11-2. You can find out these odds and more at PaddyPower.com or indeed the PaddyPower app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org and remember, take time to think.
5: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pearce, Ollie Kaye and the very best football writers around.
4: Werner again Wants it back again. Got the touch. Mount for the first time
3: in his career. He scores in three successive games, and it could be the goal that takes Chelsea to a third consecutive
4: FA Cup final.
0: All right, Chelsea Crystal Palace also at Wembley, also in the FA Cup semi-finals this weekend. Very different feel, particularly to this first half. I'm thinking, Daniel.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was it was slumber. um, I think it, it, the issue came from, from it being exactly as we had expected. You know, Vieira has tried to oversee this kind of possession revolution at Palace, but in recent weeks, and particularly against the bigger clubs, he's been prepared to be pragmatic and sit deep. He changed formation to go with this five at the back, I suspect because that's what Brentford was so successful with doing against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, um, and tried to hit them on the counter. And they do have some wonderful counter-attacking players the, the issue was that they just didn't link on the counter the ball didn't stick with Jean-Philippe Mateta um, Zaha was dealt with I thought brilliantly by Rhys James who played as a slightly surprisingly as the, as the right-sided centre-back with Azpilicueta as the wing-back I, I think because of that recovery pace in behind that that Rudiger um, doesn't necessarily have uh, and yeah I mean Chelsea just completely shut Palace down and then it it really became a matter of time of when Chelsea would create a good enough chance to score and I was really pleased for for Ruben Loftus-Cheek he's he's it it seems remarkable that he started England's last World Cup match in 2018 against Belgium because he's had a pretty horrible journey since then including a serious injury Uh, and this was only his second goal since I think May 2019 which is Mm -hmm. remarkable but Mason Mount was talking about him after the game and saying, you know, he's 26 years old, but he's sort of 23 in terms of football development. And he's still got so much to give. And when he plays well, he just controls that midfield. I thought he was excellent against, against Real Madrid in midweek and I thought he was good again here.
4: Oh,
0: that's good. Uh, Loftus Chief making that long return from Achilles surgery. Mount, who's making a similar recovery from a haircut, the two scorers <laughs> of the goals here, as Thomas Tuchel makes his way to his sixth major final. With Chelsea, Chelsea, Liverpool again two draws in the league, uh, a nil-nil and penalties in the League Cup final. Well, very exciting nil-nil with
1: penalties in in the League Cup final. It must must be said. Sashi, looking forward to this? Yeah, tremendously. Um, I think if you look at the three games um, that the three draws that Liverpool and and Chelsea have had so far, Chelsea perhaps shaded, and and Liverpool certainly have struggled through all of those games and arguably maybe in the league that's what's costing them at the moment because they didn't beat Chelsea what a city has um, so yeah I, I thought um, as far as 0-0 goes um, the league cup final was probably the best 0-0 I've seen um, and then obviously the longest penalty shoot I've seen after that um, and I think you know as, as far as cup finals go I, even though it is a repeat uh, Liverpool playing City and then Chelsea in the FA Cup kind of feels apt given that these are the, easily the three best teams in the country at the moment. So mm-hmm. I think to win anything, you basically have to get past those. Uh, but I think, um, I mean, look, looking at Chelsea at the moment, uh, w- one thing, uh, that I think everyone else needs to be worried about I, um, uh, f- from Chelsea's point of view is, is Werner. I thought um, Sharpness is coming back. I thought he was. He scored a great goal against, I know mean, it was 6-0 against Southampton, but there was a very long run that he made with Bednarik all over him, go around the keeper to put it away. His movement is very good between the lines, the way they kind of rotated to set up one of the goals, at, um, uh, to score his goal at uh, Real Madrid, This game here as well, I think, so his overall link-up, I think he he, he sort of maybe finally understands what his place is. And also this is, uh, I think, looking at the way Mount, Havertz, and Werner interact with each other. I mean, this has to be the end of Lukaku. Well, very possibly. Both goals coming from homegrown players, with Timo Werner earning plaudits
0: from many observers, which is another nice thing for Chelsea. Mm.
1: Any other points on this game? Why did Olissa not start, Daniel? What did people say?
3: I think he wanted Mateta to be, if he was going to play this 5-3-2, I think Zaha was certain to start, Eze was certain to start, and I think he wanted, his his two options were either to go for the full counter-attacking fly and play with almost three attacking midfielders rather than the central striker, but I think he wanted Mateta to, I I guess, to try and take up some of Antonio Rudiger's time and kind of be looked after by Rudiger, but... As I say, he was taken off after 54 minutes and the ball just didn't stick. And he brought on Jordan Ayew for that over Christian Benteke, which I guess was probably a return to the plan B, which is of those kind of more diminutive strikers or attacking players. But neither of them really worked. Um, They just didn't. Palace always have a problem in that their wing-backs are more defensive Players than than attacking wing backs, you know they're a world away from Robertson and Alexander Arnold in terms of intended style, and that means that things have to go through the middle, and they just, you know, in Kuyate and they just don't really have creative central midfielders. It it goes without saying that they massively lack Conor Gallagher. I think for that, Um, I don't think he would have been the difference maker, but it's a huge shame that the rules dictate that he can't play in that game because he. He offers so much to Palace in terms of that central midfield creativity and he gives those wide players extra breathing room to find space and without that they just looked a bit sluggish.
2: Worth noting of course that this will be the first time the FA Cup final has been an exact replica of the League Cup final in terms of the teams contesting it since ninety two-93. Uh, when Arsenal and Sheffield Wednesday fought out both matches and Arsenal came out on top both times, which to me feels like it happened not all that long ago, but which is basically 30 years ago. So there's a... Well, in a geological time For all of us. In geological Well, in space-time, James. Space-time. The, the, bl- the blink of an eye. Yeah. Also,
0: first time that Patrick Vieira has lost in an FA Cup game since, what, 2004? 2004. Hmm. All right. Next up, Let's talk about the Premier League. It's the Paddy Power Football supporter Support Line and we're talking to Man United fan Carl. Yeah, and I'm worried about the trip to Liverpool. It's the game I'd be worried about, Carl, not the trip. Yeah, at least the M62 won't be one-way traffic. It's not always rewarding being a Man United fan, but if you want rewards, you can get a free bet if one leg of your bet builder on Liverpool v Man United lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much online bet a bet only. Min 2 plus legs. Max 1 free £5 bet per customer must have previously deposited to avail. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18plusbegambleraware.org.
5: We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to India data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's ind dot com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's good news for Watford fans as they get ready to appoint their fourth manager of the season. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply.
0: Premier League, everybody. FA Cup results this weekend mean that fifth and sixth in the Premier League will qualify for the Europa League. Seventh gets a slot in the cherished Europa Conference League. Currently in seventh place are West Ham after their 1-1 draw with Burnley above them. Well, the top four race took a twist this weekend. Spurs and Arsenal both losing and Man United winning against bottom of the table Norwich to move back into the fourth place picture. Those three teams, Spurs, Man United, and Arsenal, separated by only three points. We'll talk about the top four race. I'm using air quotes there shortly. But first, down the other end and Burnley's clash with West Ham, and before that even, the shock news at the end of last week from Turf Moor. I don't know, where were you when you found out? I got a message from producer Charlie saying, Burnley fired Dyche and they've given it to me. I thought, no,
2: safer pair of hands. But of course, <laughs> lols. <laughs> it was genuinely surprising. It's the first time yeah. I... I can't remember the last time uh, managerial sacking was announced, and the initial reaction wasn't, oh, well, you could kind of see that coming. Mm. I mean, it would have perhaps been invisible at the end of the season, you know, if Bernie's Bernie's relegation had been confirmed by then. But, yeah, to sack Sean Dyche, you know, Mr. Bernie now, when they're still in with with a fighting chance of of survival, felt extraordinary and and elicited a great deal of sympathy. I mean, Mm. you know, he's obviously done a... An incredible, an incredible job at, at Turf Moor, and and even, you know, after the the takeover, when people thought that there might be a little bit of money to spend, he, he hasn't had any money to spend, and, and, and albeit Burnley are struggling a lot more this season than than they have in previous seasons, they're, they're still in with a fighting chance of uh, of escaping relegation. So yeah, very very strange decision.
0: Although this is actually traditionally the the favourite time to fire a manager because he had just lost to Norwich in the previous game. Norwich have only won five matches this season and in three of those uh, occasions, the team they've beaten have then fired the manager within a week. Tarek Panja writing, this feels like the start of a death spiral for a club that was in relatively good shape until it was handed over to ALK, who appeared to have done nothing beyond using the club's own money to finance their takeover. Now no dice and a pile of debt that didn't exist before, fit and proper. Oof. Yeah, I mean,
3: yeah, we don't really even need to read between the lines to work out what Tarek's saying there, and I, I agree with it. I I, I accept that Dice has underperformed in the last probably 18 months, but you can't separate that from the fact that keeping Burnley in the league for so long and even getting them into seventh one season was uh, basically, I I think, the greatest Premier League achievement of the last 10 years, apart from Leicester winning the league, basically, because they don't have much money to spend. They're not a fashionable club. When they do spend money, it's because they've just sold a player for for more than they're spending. And even in those final weeks of Dice's reign, you look at Maxwell Cornet's miss against Norwich, which would make it 2-2. Corne mm. again misses a penalty here. I know Dice has gone by that point. But yeah, the only the only explanation I can think of is that it became clear to either the owners or Dice that he wasn't going to be there next season. And the loss to Norwich made them think, well, if he's not going to be here next season, why not take a gamble now? And, and also potentially have a pick of managers now Go, go through a full process of appointing them while, while Ben Mee and, and Mike Jackson in temporary charge and, and get the man we think we want. But it, it doesn't suggest that they had a, a kind of succession plan in place. Otherwise, I think that announcement would have come very quickly. If it was someone, let's say, like Sam Allardyce, I think he would have probably been already there by Friday. So hmm. then you start looking around for names and managers think, well, I don't know what division you're going to be in next season, so I'm not too sure about taking the job. And it, it get, can get messy very quickly. The other particularly important thing to say about Sean Dyche is that there now exists, with the pressure in being a Premier League manager, this kind of honeymoon when after you've left a job and when you've taken it. And on Sunday night, Dyche was photographed smiling with revelers in Rock City in Nottingham, which is a kind of indie music venue in Nottingham, Mm. looking like I mean, instantly looking sort of eight, ten years younger than he did on the touchline a week before. Uh, he looks in a he's sort of very smart in kind of emo black polo shirt, with, but all smiles, queuing to get into Rock City.
0: Can a polo shirt ever be
3: emo? Yeah, emo is the wrong word. I, I don't know. It's a sort of yeah, an indie, maybe in like an indie, vaguely arctic mo- more, monkey style, more like a mod right.
2: thing. I think. I think. Yeah. I think Sean Dyche has got more of a more of a mod mod tip going on. But I mean, yeah, I think you can make a polo shirt emo as long as you kind of accessorize it with a sleeve tattoo, one of those kind of weird earring things that tears a massive hole in your earlobe <laughs> True. and like, you know, kind of swept over hair. I'm a, mm. I'm a,
3: I'm a, I think I can confirm D- Dyche had none of those three.
2: Yet. Not yet. Not
0: yet, at any rate. Dyche was the Premier League's longest-serving manager. As Tom says, there is still a chance of them staying up. They did get a point away at West Ham. How close, though, did they come to starting with a win, Tom?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I worry for Burnley that that squandered Maxwell-Corne penalty might, might come back to haunt them because they were really under the cosh to begin with. Uh, I think they would have looked at this and uh, you know, prior to the game and thought there was a, a decent chance of them getting uh, a result. Um, given that West Ham were going into the game off the back of that that win away at Lyon uh, in the Europa League on Thursday, you know would they be a little bit knackered? Would they be a bit of a crash? And actually, West Ham were on top, and then they lose Ashley Westwood with that absolutely horrible injury, but managed to take the lead a, a few minutes later through through Vague Horse back on the score sheet for the first time in a little while, and then Maxwell Corne wins the penalty. They've got an opportunity to put a put a daylight between themselves and, and West Ham. Jane Rodriguez marches towards the penalty area with the ball on his hands and Corne wrenches it off him obviously not the designated penalty taker puts it wide um, and then with uh, with with a certain degree of inevitability West Ham end up equalizing and could well have won it and I think had it not been for Nick Pope pulling off a couple of really smart saves mm. at the end Bernie would have ended up losing you, you sort of wonder what would have happened if they'd got that second goal if, if that penalty had gone in they'd got you know they'd been able to go in 2-0 up at half time could have been a really, really big win for them um, and instead, you know, they end up dropping those two points and uh, yes, yeah, still still that little bit of daylight between themselves and Everton as a consequence.
1: But but realistically, I mean, how many, also like in terms of the managerial change, how many games do they need to win to stay up? Is it three? Is it like three and a half? Because I mean, there's three points between them and Everton. Mm. Uh, how many games are Everton going to win before the end of the season? If like best case scenario for Burnley, maybe two. So, sacking the manager now, they were looking, maybe you've got eight games, we need to win three, maybe pick up a couple of draws. Maybe that could be part of the thinking process, of course, then. You look at who is actually in charge on Saturday, on Sunday, maybe there isn't much of a thinking process. But again, like a game like West Ham, I don't think it changes too much in terms of the game, whether Burnley are 1-0 or 2-0 up, because they're basically under the cost for the rest of the game. And maybe, you know, the floodgates would have burst eventually, uh, because you could see how much pressure they were coming under. They couldn't really break out. Um, the, The question is, though, they were coming up against a team of Thursday, like that's coming off a very heavy game of Thursday night that really hardly rotated. I think they've changed maybe a couple of players, maybe two, two, three players, uh, West, West Ham changed from Thursday night. And yet it was, it was Burnley very much looking really, really knackered towards the end of that game, um, which kind of raises the questions of maybe physically uh, that they're, they're gone at this stage. Maybe they can't actually uh, get those three wins because uh, they're completely spent. Mm,
0: possibly so. They are in action Thursday night against Southampton at home. Everton, who are three points above them now, but with a game in hand on the Clarets, will be hosting Leicester on Wednesday. So there's still plenty of life, I reckon, left in that whole relegation battle. But no question, wasting their first penalty of the season didn't help their cause much. West Ham, by the way, victorious away at Lyon in fine fashion, have now got Eintracht Frankfurt, who put out Barcelona from the Europa League.
1: Oh um, talking of Eintracht Frankfurt Eintracht Frankfurt have all the eggs very much in the Europa League basket now they lost 2-0 to Union Berlin on Sunday looking naked from the Thursday night exploits That's the this is their only chance of Europe so I think West Ham have two very very heavy games coming up there I, I know this is probably for the Europort, but everything about their win in Barcelona was just in, incredible I think you know the 30,000 fans in the in, in the ground you know prompting you know I think a lot of investigation I think now on Barcelona side as to how this could happen I mean Kostic gets the third goal he runs towards the corner flag and all you can see is like is all white in that corner it's like a home game after the final whistle the whole st- it's like it's a, it's a home match it's absolutely extraordinary but for me the moment uh, I think perhaps of the whole week is Rafa Boré picking up the ball uh in the Barcelona half advancing 25 yards absolutely smashes it basta Stegen <laughs> the way he wraps his foot around it and just flies in. I mean, Rafa Boré, because he's the River Plate hero of the Libertadores exploits, hasn't had personally the greatest of season in Europe. And also afterwards, you know, as they're all celebrating, he's keeping himself. You, you see, he's waiting to do something. He's pointing at number 19. And of course, uh, Boré is Colombian and it's for Freddy Rincon. Um, ah, and I thought yeah. like that was a very, very moving moment. And just the whole thing. And, you know, whenever Eintracht kind of play in Europe and you remember they reached the semis a couple of years ago, maybe two, three years ago. There's a lot of, it seems to be, they bring a lot of passion into the competition and and for me, like this West Ham, Eintracht size now, it's incredibly, incredibly exciting Um, and I think certainly for both clubs, it's now away from the league and I think the focus is on that.
0: Mm, absolutely. What a night that was. Uh, on Thursday, we'll be discussing that and loads more in the Euro show, which will be with you kind of from midnight on Monday. And yeah, terrible news about former... Uh, Well, Napoli, Colombia, lots of other clubs as well, I should probably mention. I think of him with with the Napoli jersey. I once went to his house in Naples. He's a lovely man, Freddie Rincon. Anyway, uh, died in a car crash last week. Terrible news. Um, Returning to the bottom of the Premier League table then, Burnley still with some slim chances of staying up. Is that it for Watford, though, after their late defeat to Brentford? Yeah. Uh, Watford equaling the record... For most home games lost in succession, that's now ten, joint with Birmingham City from the mid-eighties. That's it, then, Daniel? Is it? Yes, that's it.
3: Yeah, they are diabolical at home. They have seven home points this season, which is um, embarrassing. They they are their fans are are officially very unhappy now. I think while Watford were going up and down at you know yo-yoing and pushing to stay up I think that the supporters understood the the model of regularly changing managers and you know the kind of the system and the ethos and the culture of the club overriding whoever was in the dugout but this season they feel that the managerial merry-go-round has continued to turn and yet there isn't any culture at the club at the moment um The appointment of Claudio Ranieri was a gamble, but I understood why they did it. To then go for basically the same profile of manager as a replacement when that hadn't worked seemed extraordinary. And they didn't buy enough good defenders last summer uh, and they have been punished. There's this sense, I think, with Watford, and I think it applies to Norwich as well, that because they've there's a kind of inevitability that they're always going to go down. I think if you look at how badly they've played over long periods of this season and and the gap, you know, the fact is that they're not mathematically down yet. I think the opposite is true. I think they had a real chance this season that won't exist in other seasons to punish the likes of Everton and Leeds and, and you know, in the, in the first half of the season, Newcastle as well. And they just didn't do that. They've been there the whole way through because they're just, yeah, they're, they're just shambolic at the back and it's it's a real shame because you know as a fan of a championship club it's nice to see new clubs in the championship as a fan of watching Premier League football it's like it's nice to have promotion clubs stay up and I think Brentford have been brilliant by that regard but yeah they they're just terrible I mean ten home defeats on the bounce is 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 a humiliation really.
0: no team in English league football has taken fewer points at home than the hornets this season
2: and yet they should have won it. Ninetieth minute, the ball pops out yeah. to Imran loser, six yards out, open goal to aim at. The commentator even thought it was in on uh, on match of the day at least.
3: Couple of ricochets, in goes Sizoko, and against the post, and in by
5: Low he's put it wide. Somehow Imran loser has
2: missed. And then five minutes later Brentford go down the other end and uh, and get the winner. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, sort of uh, a sign of of the kind of form that Brentford are in that they're able to kind mm. of you know get away with close shaves like that and and, and, and things are falling for them and, and the balls going into the back of the net and obviously for Watford it uh, very much is not.
0: It's not five wins in the last six for Brentford. The only match in that run they didn't win was the one that Christian Eriksen was out for with the COVID.
1: I mean transformative signings mid season, James. Eriksen, like uh, this. This I mean people I even mean, talk about Diaz now and stuff, but. Ericsson, five wins out of five when he starts. I mean, he's only, only in that it comes. One goal and two assists, but a lot of pre-assist passes, a lot of stuff like, um, I think the, the chance that Tony missed second half against Watford, which just quick thinking. Perfect for the whole Brentford reliance on set pieces, of course, because now they can basically, someone who can put it, um, on, on who can deliver it on the plate, um, and I think it's just just extraordinary the way the way this is this has worked out. Um, and yeah, Thomas Frank said after the game that they weren't the best, but you know they still won, and you know this this is great. But curiously, this is the second time um, Brentford beat Watford two uh, one this season with a goal deep into injury time. I think it was ninety sixth minute winner um, in in West London earlier in the season. Uh, but I think overall, it's, like f- f- from my point of view, it's very nice that Ericsson comes in has such a huge impact, and now Brentford just kind of eased them themselves into doing. The- end of the season and can also start thinking about next season whether they can keep Ericsson or signing other things they need to make but it's also curious how from Brentford's point of view they had obviously kind of hit a bit of a wall and they needed that creative player in the middle of the park and then they found him um, and it's how how perfectly it now all fitted in Mm. There you go
0: and they say you can't sign
1: anyone in January They (laughs) Top
0: 4 race is next on the Totally Football Show
5: we're sponsored for this episode of the totally football show by shopify shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage shopify is there to help you grow from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person pos system wherever and whatever you're selling shopify has got you covered Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this
0: is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Scottish Cup semi-finals uh, this weekend for the first time ever consisted of an Edinburgh derby and a Glasgow derby. And it was Hearts and Rangers that made their way uh, through those fixtures. They'll be meeting now on the 21st of May. 2-1 win for Giovanni von Bronckhorst's Rangers over Celtic. At Hamden, An extra time. Totally Football Show Live is coming up. Well oh, that's quite soon, actually. 10th of May. We're going to be at the Glee Club in Birmingham. Glee.co.uk is where you can get... There's one or two tickets that might be left at the back of a drawer somewhere. Totally Football League Show is out on Tuesday this week. It's a day later than usual because there's a big Football League programme on Easter Monday. Matt Davis-Adams all over that. And the Athletic Women's Football Podcast is also out on Tuesday... And that, uh, of course, uh, will be devoting a lot of time to the FA Cup semi-finals. Man City will be taking on Chelsea May the 15th in the Women's FA Cup final. Interestingly, either Man City or Chelsea have played in each of the last eight FA Cup finals, although never against each other. So that will be something new. Also out on Tuesday, as mentioned earlier, the Totally Football Show Euro Edition. We'll get Jules' thoughts on... Uh, Well, I mean, there's lots in there. We'll get Alvaro on Barcelona, the billion euro takeover of Milan, all sorts of things. And of course, Le Classique. Tom, what should I ask Jules about that?
2: Um, Was it not that exciting for you? I mean, you had everything. You had all the ingredients. A beautiful spring evening in one of the world's most beautiful cities PSG in first place, up against second place, Marseille. They're great mm. rivals. Marseille trying to delay PSG's procession towards the title. You've got some of the the best footballers in the history of the game on the pitch. And it just felt so hollow, so flat, mm. um, because the PSG fans were officially on strike. So they weren't singing. They weren't cheering. They were still swearing at Marseille players, which, which was reassuring in itself. But... That was the extent of it. The Marseille fans weren't allowed at the game because it's such a sensitive fixture, as has been the case for the last sort of four or five years. And you know, PSG won two-one, but it just felt like a total, total non-event. And I think of all the, uh, yeah, of, of all the recent disappointments that um, that, that, that PSG have, have had to suffer, it, 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 for a game that that should be such a kind of festival to mm. feel quite so meaningless was really quite the achievement, I would say.
0: Yeah, shiny-looking confection that ultimately proved hollow. Not many of those are around oh, this we weekend. Go. Let's talk about the top four race in the Premier League then, which is full of drama, full of passion. Arsenal beaten at Saints, Spurs at home to Brighton, losing. Man United defeating bottom of the table Norwich. Which was the biggest surprise for you?
3: <laughs> I mean, Spurs has to be the biggest surprise on the basis they'd scored hatfuls in their recent games. And yet... In retrospect, and with the benefit of hindsight, Graham Potter did a number on Spurs and and probably, I think, set a blueprint for how teams will try and negate this this front three, particularly when the first-choice wing-backs aren't there. And it seems an extraordinary thing to say um, about Tottenham. But Matt Doherty, I think, has probably suddenly become a, a very, very important player for them because Emerson Royale was not able to get down the wing as well as Conte would have liked, nor was Reggie on, on the other side. And that shuttled everything to the middle and Brighton dealt with it brilliantly. Eve Basuma was fantastic at looking after Harry Kane, not just following him everywhere, but kind of learning when to drop off and give some help to those behind him. They also sat really, really deep, which is has to be the way to play against Spurs' front three now because it, it just negates all the space in behind them. And they didn't, uh, crucially, and and probably the most crucial part of this, I think, is that they didn't not bother to attack. They didn't just go for a a nil-nil. They didn't try and sit on nothing. They actually tried to push forward and gave Tottenham something to think about. And, you know, recent Spurs games, they've blown away Villa in the second half and they've blown away Newcastle in the second half. But they have started slowly and Brighton were able to, you know, to repeat that feat. And then continue that into the second half by staying deep and not, you know, they push forward without leaving themselves exposed and all credit to Graham Potter for that. But um, it is slightly worrying, I suppose, from a Spurs perspective in that results can happen like this seemingly out of nowhere. But then again, nobody else in the same race is is particularly good at the moment anyway. So maybe it Mm. won't matter.
0: All right. Well, indeed, Arsenal losing just last weekend. Spurs top four rivals, the Gunners, to Brighton who've now had back-to-back away wins after seven games without a victory. They are on course for their best ever Premier League finish. It's their first win away to Tottenham since 1981. It's Man City next. They couldn't, could they, Tom?
2: I mean, I, I thought I thought one thing Brighton did as as well, as all the things Daniel's just mentioned, is they cut off the supply chain to Harry Kane really well, played without a centre-forwards basically had five midfielders um, and just totally swamped Spurs in midfield. And, you know, we know that that is such a, a feature of the way Spurs play. Ball into Kane's feet, he drops deep, spins, and then can, you know, put a pass onto Son's toes or Kulicevski's toes from almost anywhere. And he had very, very few opportunities to, to do that. Um, and yeah, you know, that was sort of part of the... Part of the master plan, and I, I suspect we, we might see a similar thing against Manchester City because if you want to stop Manchester City playing, you have to you have to dominate that area of the pitch. So it, it could well be that 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 performance at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium serves as a blueprint against uh, against City as well. Although you know you would have thought that that given given City's need for uh, need for points, you know they will they obviously be favourites for that.
0: Mm. Kevin De Bruyne might be back for that game. He was on the bench, an unused sub. Uh, On Saturday, uh, City have won nine of their last ten meetings with the Seagulls in in all competitions. Sasha,
1: But I I think the last two games should give Brighton a lot of confidence because, first of all, I think very obviously the finishing has been very sharp. Um, And I thought Trossat took his goal particularly well in this game as well. But one thing that struck me when I went to to watch Brighton Liverpool uh, back in March... Was how niggly Brighton is. They're not very nice to play against at all. Um, especially Cucurella He's just like he's, he's just a horror. And I mean, when he started picking on Koleshevsky, no wonder Koleshevsky was, was was beginning to lose his rag because he's just on like he's just all over you. Um, just just this menace running around. So I think you know if City are a little bit fatigued, you know if. You know, Brighton do get under the skin a bit. I think that they have a potential to actually quite majorly disrupt them, um, especially now that they have confidence of you know these two good, good wins um, in North London. And I think overall, Brighton, as we always talk about, they, they play they play they play the good football. But I think there's now a little bit more grit, a little bit more dirt to them. Um, and given the shape that they had against Spurs, could they employ this against uh, City sitting deep and really swamping that midfield? Maybe, but I certainly think that City are, City could be in for a tough game there.
0: Daniel, you're chortling through that. You're not yeah, this. Yeah, I think Sasha's is absolutely right. Oh.
3: Kukurella made me laugh on Saturday because the one incident that he really could have made the most of, and I think Kulisevsky was pretty lucky not to have been sent off. He didn't. He just kind of got straight back up. And yet it was almost if like for the rest of the game, Brighton were like, well, we gave you that one. So we're now going to make the most of everything and we're going to delay the game. And, you know, these are these are pushing the boundaries of what is legal and, and you know, Spurs fans, I'm sure, will say, "Well, it should have, it shouldn't have been allowed to happen." But you need to do this sort of thing if you're not an elite club. is mm. absolutely right. Brighton, for too long, have been a really nice club that play wonderful football and are, are very popular with neutrals for exactly that reason. But there's no reason why you can't combine the two and, and help it to make you a better team.
0: Brilliant. Well, City with a terrific record against the Seagulls. However, Spurs had been on a brilliant run of form coming into this game, as Daniel mentioned but the Seagulls are denying them even a single shot on target in this game. Yeah,
3: I I, I thought it was interesting. I look back at the last time Brighton had played away from home and failed to concede a shot on target. And it was actually at Anfield in February 2021. And Liverpool were on a bit of a sticky run at that Mm. point. But I I think it's it's almost as if Brighton have played at two extremes. They either completely shut down teams or they want to really express themselves. And I think the next test for Potter is to try and find the... I think the reason they go on these bad runs is they almost get a little bit excited and carried away, and they're like, well, we're playing well now, we're going to go and pass teams off the park, and they get a bit unstuck. So I think that's why they lurch from good form to bad form because they go back to effectively go back to the basics and really make it work. Mm.
0: Well, even if it, even when it's bad, it's not been bad enough to spoil what, as I say, is set to be their best ever finish uh, in the Premier League or in the top flight at all. I think of, of English yep. football,
2: and that's despite being the third-lowest scorers in the entire division, Brighton. They've only Hmm. scored 29 goals uh, in 32 games to date, and the only teams to have scored fewer are Burnley with 26 and Norwich with with 22. Crikey.
0: In a big weekend for South Coast, big smoke clashes. Meanwhile, Saints bounce back from there. 6-0 drubbing at the hands of Chelsea with a 1-0 win over Arsenal who have now lost back-to-back games against coastal outfits. It's Southampton's first league victory since February. That's that's quite a run, isn't it? Jan Benaret with the goal. Oh, Daniel, mm. there you were, believing in Arsenal again.
3: Yeah, told you. Well, I, I did caveat it by saying I will undoubtedly be let down by them, as is traditional, and I have been. The injuries have made a difference with, with Tierney and Party, and, and mm. the, we talked about it last week, but you know Lacazette is not performing he wasn't in the squad at the weekend I guess because of a niggle rather than selection issues but Nketiah is not good enough to lead the line they don't take enough of their chances.
0: Two goals from their last 73 attempts.
3: Yeah beyond that I think there is a kind of there is a really dispiriting lack of attitude in that team still because supporters demanded more after they before the Brighton game after they They'd lost the previous one against Palace and they didn't come. They doubly demanded it here because Spurs had already lost. Top four was on the line. They'd lost the last two games. So the, the one thing we expected them to do was be really upbeat. They were pretty unfortunate not, not to take a point. Forster was excellent in goal, but it, it, just, it feels like every Arsenal game is played in this kind of isolation where they have no concept of what's at stake and how energetic they need to be and what a tone they need to set, which... Yeah, it's really... I mean, it's, it's galling because it makes people like me look stupid repeatedly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, I mean, this is this is what you get with a very young team, isn't it? You, you yeah. You know, a, a, a team with such a young average age is much more susceptible to being blown off course than, than a team with, with more seasoned campaigners. And I think, you know, you look at what's happened to Arsenal, who were absolutely flying right up until the moment they went to, to Selhurst Park and, you know, and, and lost 3-0. And, and you just feel like... Almost all the confidence has, has flown out of the team. And I, and I think particularly when, when you do have a very young team, that sort of momentum is, is necessarily a much, a much less stable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, from looking like they were, if not dead certs, then clear favourites for, for top four, looking at their previous run of form, you now sort of find yourself wondering how quickly they can stop the rot. And are they going to end up just, you know, sinking like a stone?
0: Well, they are three points behind Spurs, but with a game in hand. Do you know where their next match is? It come, comes Wednesday night. Go on, Sash, you do, don't you? Chelsea. Yes. One of four fixtures that the uh, the Gunners have in their remaining seven that'll come away from home, which is a bit of a worry. Those matches being Chelsea on Wednesday, West Ham, Spurs, and Newcastle. Yikes! And they've
3: got and they've got Manchester United in between as the home game, so mm. um, it's sort of. After a, a poor losing streak, it's sort of each of their historic psychological barriers that they have to jump across. And with Chelsea and with with Manchester United and then the North London derby, basically they've now given themselves no choice but to prove over again hmm. that they are better than they used to be. Because if they fall at even two of those four hurdles in the next four games, I think Spurs will probably still have enough.
0: Can I stun you with a statistic? Do it. Please. Mikel Arteta is unbeaten in his two previous visits to Stanford Bridge as Arsenal manager.
3: Two. I mean, it sort of feels slightly damning with faint praise that it's only two.
0: As many as two, James. As many <laughs> as two. Yeah,
2: that's, I mean, that's more than one, isn't Let it? Let me pick
0: my jaw right. off the floor. Right, there you go. All right, Man United, Daniel, who uh, rank among Arsenal's uh, opponents between now and the end of the season and who are now level with them in the uh, Premier League table... Courtesy of three big points picked up against Mighty Norwich at the weekend. Uh, Three big points earned by three big goals from Cristiano Ronaldo. It's the 50th hat-trick of his club career. Uh, Sorry, Daniel.
3: Uh, sorry, I was just going to say that there's literally just some quotes landed from Lacazette saying he wants to play in the Champions League and I'm happy to join other clubs, which. Oh, um, great quite, timing. Oh, sorry,
2: just... I should have said that that was on our show last night. I should have mentioned Tom. that. Oh. 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 Tom. You say sorry. It. Tom, what show is that? Uh, Canal Football Club, James. Uh, oh, yeah. So that's the show that I do in, in Paris every weekend. And, and we had an interview with Alexandre Lacazette and he was asked about how things have been going of late and how he sees things uh, looking next season um and he was talking about uh the sort of club that that he might uh, potentially be 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 tempted to join and and he was asked whether he might be interested in going back to Lyon uh, being obviously a mm. a former Lyon player and and he made it clear that for him Champions League football is 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 a biggie um and at the very very least uh European football um so a, a bit of a bit of a clue there as to um as to where he sees his, uh, his his immediate future.
3: If only there was some way of him impacting where whether his current club would be in the Champions League next season, that sort of finishing chances or
0: something like that, it's it's hard. I mm. Hear what you're saying. Any other revelations we should know about from Canal Foot Club?
2: <laughs> Canal Football Club. Um no, no, no revelations. I wouldn't say. I mean, great, okay. lots of lots of great chat, lots of laughs right. as ever. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think that was it on the revelations front.
0: What were they most interested? You were there to explain what had happened in in English football. What what were they most excited or interested by?
2: Um, so we did what felt like a slightly cruel um, segment on uh, Harry Maguire's. Uh, performance against Norwich, huh. uh, which involved uh, kicking Paul Pogba, his own teammate, in the side of the head uh, at a Man United corner, which Pogba was absolutely furious about. And and then, in a way that felt quite telling, uh, towards the end of the game, racing back to create an angle for a pass from David De Gea. Only to see David Haye turn and just roll the ball out of play on the opposite side of the pitch, which kind of suggested that it's preferable to concede throw-ins halfway, <laughs> halfway up your own half than it is to even contemplate passing the ball to Harry Maguire. Um, so that was Crikey. yeah that 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 went down quite well.
0: All right. Well, I mean that brings us very nicely back onto Man United, uh, Norwich, uh, United's second win in the last two months. Both of those victories coming. Uh, three2 with Cristiano Ronaldo hat tricks have have that haters
3: yeah I thought I mean I I thought the 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 most instructive and interesting part of the game was the the reaction to Paul pogba I mean that relationship has been breaking for a while I don't know if it was because some of the fans were a kind of energized by the pre-match protests and decided right well this is the day where we get everything off our chest but um, Yeah, it was pretty vitriolic towards Pogba, who kind of cupped his ear as if to say, you know, I I can hear you. You It's not that helpful. I mean, Pogba probably hasn't helped himself by making it, you know, at least intimating that he probably won't be there next season. But um, yeah, Manchester United do not need any extra help to make the atmosphere toxic at Old Trafford at the moment. And that felt like another kind of step towards the the abyss.
2: Mm. Kind of felt like the point of no return a bit for Pogba, I think, in that there has been... A lot of dissent uh, towards him from within United's fan base because obviously he returns to the club with that huge price tag, big expectations and has unfortunately for him, I think, become uh, a symbol of this very underwhelming period in in United's post-Ferguson history whilst at the same time doing fantastic things for France, winning the World Cup and, and, and looking every inch the, the superstar footballer that he is you know when he's playing in a successful team and, and has the right sort of structure around him uh, to play the sort of football that he wants to play. but we would not seen him being booed being jeered by his own fans before um, and it you know it, it's an open secret that, that he is likely to leave at the end of the season and, and I think I think for me that, that the sight of him being being booed off, Having not actually, you know, played badly or already done anything wrong, you know, being booed off just because he's poor Pogba and he hasn't quite lived up to expectations, that that felt like a like a like a break. That felt like the end of something.
0: Mm. All right, next two games for United are at Anfield and then the Emirates. So an absolutely crucial week for them as they await to define their future. Whether it's Champions League and also off the field, who's actually going to be in charge? Another of the subjects we'll be discussing. In Tuesday's uh, Euro football pod, we've got Mikel Jongsma joining us from the Netherlands with the I should latest. Should point
3: out that Ajax lost the Dutch Cup final mm. to, to PSV at the weekend. To kind of, it's almost now as you don't even have to join Manchester United for everything to sort of fall apart. It's enough to be very strongly
1: linked. They have a four point lead in the league. Uh, I think they'd have five games not to blow it. Mm.
0: Ooh, speaking of PSV, Leicester went and beat them last Thursday to earn their place. In the Europa Conference League semi-finals, who they're going to be taking on uh, the week after this one? Ooh, Roma! That's exciting. Meantime, Leicester beaten two-one away at Newcastle in the other game this weekend in the Premier League. Leicester taking the lead through Adam Luckman. scoring for his third league start in a row. But then Bruno Guimaraes happened all over them once again. Nice words from Brendan Rodgers afterwards. Uh, when he he spoke about how happy he was for the Newcastle fans to see them so, well, happy themselves and celebrating. And that, Newcastle now, a formidable, formidable place to go. What's that? Five home wins in a row. Both these teams are in action midweek. Newcastle will be hosting Crystal Palace, while Leicester visit Everton in a game with potentially big ramifications down the bottom end of the
2: table. And the winner... Uh, that Bruno Gimaraj scored against Leicester i mean that stuff of dreams a diving header in the 95th minute <laughs> at the gallowgate end at st james's park there are strikers who've spent their entire careers at <laughs> newcastle and have never had a moment like that and yeah you know once again another great moment for the newcastle fans who were in the absolute doldrums at the start of the season and i think the fact that they've managed to to turn things around uh, to this extent, in, in terms of their home games, just shows how successfully, you know, Eddie Howe has, has managed to kind of detoxify the atmosphere there, albeit with, you know, the very unfortunate caveat mm. that it's taken and being taken over by yeah. the Saudis for that to happen. And just just a quick word on Bruno Guimaraes. He's now scored as many goals for Newcastle in three months as he did in two years for Lyon. Crikey. So he's obviously finding the air in, in the northeast uh, to his liking.
0: This, despite the fact that it's only really the last couple of games that he's been scoring in.
2: I think he's only played five matches, um, uh, five league games for Newcastle, uh, and he's scored three goals. The first of which was that incredible volleyed back heel at Southampton, was it, a few weeks back? Um, and he's, you know, he's he's not a goalscorer, despite despite the fact that he scored these these fantastic goals. I I don't think he's going to carry on scoring with this sort of regularity. It's it's mm. not something we. We sort of saw from him at Leon, but he is, um, you know, an extremely talented, extremely talented footballer, a very well-rounded player. Um, and I quite enjoyed the first goal as well. It's quite unusual to see the ball kind of get wedged between the goalie's legs and then be poked out by uh, an opposition player. Uh, but it looks like you know the Newcastle fans have, have taken him to their hearts already. And um, yeah, with with performances like that, you can see why. Mm.
3: I think the mm-hmm. other the other slight thing to mention is. Kasper Schmeichel seems to be going on one of those Hugo Lloris runs where commentators point out another very rare mistake by Schmeichel. And yeah, you know, he's 35 now. And I, I wonder if he's what? the last one of those. I'm going to check that because that sounds weird. Really 35 old. I
0: can't, I can't be right. He's still that, that, young, Casper. That cannot be
2: right. Can sure, he's younger. Can't than that, surely. surely.
0: Wow, listener, He's we're 30, reeling 35. this year, probably you are too 35? No, no way, way.
2: Wow. when did that happen?
3: Minds blow. I'm annoyed, I double checked it now, but yes, he is. He's 35, and I wonder if you know, we, we know that Dean Henderson, for example, is going to be looking for a move this summer. We, we know Schmeichel is a huge presence in that dressing room, but I do just wonder maybe if this is the last, the kind of the last remnants with Vardy of, of that title winning team because. Uh, He is just making more and more mistakes, which when you're doing that at 25, no one really minds. When you're doing it at 35, your age, I think, suddenly Mm. becomes a factor. I mean, I'm sure he could play until he's 40. It's just whether Leicester is starting, and Rodgers is wondering whether, maybe, maybe they'll look to buy a keeper this summer.
2: Daniel's Story, ending careers left, right, and centre over here. Fernandinho, Castellanos, Michael, it's It's over, guys. It's (laughs) over, bye-bye.
0: I think they do mind when you're 25. How old is Zach Steffen, for example?
2: True, true. Old enough to know better.
0: Mm, Well, yeah, certainly is now. Anyway, there you go. That's our thoughts on the weekend. As mentioned, there is a pretty packed programme of midweek Premier League action from Liverpool Man United on Tuesday all the way through to Burnley Saints on Thursday. Again, that we won't be able to feature in Thursday morning's show, but all the other ones like Chelsea, Arsenal, Everton, Leicester, Man City, Brighton, and Newcastle Palace, we will be talking about when Totally returns then. Before that, enjoy all our other podcast offerings. Have yourself a happy bank holiday if it still is one round your way. Many thanks to Tom, Daniel, Sasha, producer Charlie and you, listener. And we'll see you Thursday.
5: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on The Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
4: The Athletic.